So I actually kind of started the YouTube channel as like a passion project side hobby type thing because I was taking a lot of my extra income from my job and I was doing, you know, like the emergency fund. And then when I had enough there, I did, you know, stock market investments. I was trying to do some swing trading. Um, I was maxing out my 401k contributions. I was doing as much money as I could into the company stock because I got it at a discounted rate. And I kind of was like looking for um, a, a way to have like an impact. I mean, this sounds kind of like, sounds kind of like a bad thought to have, but like, I felt like, the, you know, the, the position that I had at this job, I worked in the planning department. So I was basically a paper pusher and I would do like estimates for construction for the overhead lines. And I just felt so non-essential. Like I literally thought one day I was like, if I didn't like show up here, would anybody even notice that I wasn't here? So here's the big question. Have you ever been so financially frustrated from years of poor financial decisions only to wonder why didn't they teach me in school? anything about how to manage money. I've spent the last 20 years learning the secrets to how money really works and how to use it to get financially free on a goal to retire early. I've realized how much of an impact we could have on the world by teaching financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and a successful mindset. Join me as I interview some of the world's most successful business owners, coaches, and parents to get them to share their secrets on how you can not only learn, but teach these lessons to your kids to become financially free and impact your children's financial trajectory so they can avoid the frustration and go on to do great things. I'm Cody Laughlin, and this is the Money Talkers Podcast. Welcome back to Money Talkers. I am super excited today. I have one of the biggest influencers in YouTube finance around. Uh, I have Ryan Scribner. He is the co-owner of the personal finance blog, Investing Simple. He started his entrepreneurial journey back in 2016 when he launched his YouTube channel. Now he's amassed over 600,000 subscribers and gets tens of thousands of hits a month on his blog. He left his nine to five back in 2017 after finding creative ways to make money online. Now he shares his experience with others with the goal of helping others create online businesses or secondary income streams. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Cody. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to uh, you know talk money and uh, personal finance, and uh, I think it's really cool your uh, mission here of you know inspiring young people and getting them interested in other paths out there and just basic finance skills. So I'm excited to kind of share my story and maybe some tidbits of information. I know you will because I'm, I was already a big fan of your YouTube channel. Um, I think it's amazing uh, what you've been able to do. So I guess one of the first questions is like, because you've become a finance, um, you know, a beacon on YouTube, you know, I'm assuming that you learned all this stuff in high school and you're in some, yeah, well, in some master money class that they were <laughs> actually, oddly not. I didn't learn any of this in high school, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is probably not surprising to people like us because we hear that no. all the time from from people that we're talking to or, you know, those who are consuming our information. But I was fortunate because growing up, my dad uh, is a financial advisor. So he always kind of steered me in the right direction with like basic personal finance related things like, hey, when you turn 18, you should go to the bank and get a secured credit card. And like the first time I got um, an auto loan, you know, he helped me out. He kind of explained like how much I should spend on that. Uh, so for me growing up, I kind of always had my dad there 
pointing me in the right direction with different financial stuff. And uh, that led to me having some a general idea of what I should and shouldn't be doing with my money. Uh, but it was funny because what I found is that a lot of these things that I believed were just common sense were not common sense. Because I would see, you know, friends, coworkers, et cetera, like just making these terrible financial decisions. And I'm just like, how do you not know that the repercussions of this or, or, or things like that? Um, and then eventually uh, it just kind of clicked for me that what I thought was common sense in terms of money is not common sense. And there's such a gap out there between what you learn in high school, as you alluded to that, and like the skills you need money-wise for the real world. Yeah, I, um, you know, I was obviously a little tongue-in-cheek about learning it in high school. So, um, but I, I think that's fantastic that your father talked to you about those things because I, that is generally why I called this money talkers. Was most people I run into uh, that have we find our need for personal finance um, your discoverer along the way because you're gonna have a, you're gonna have a need at some point. You're gonna realize like, okay, I don't know what I don't know, and a lot of the people I talk to is their parents just don't talk to them about money at all. It's not common. It's that's why it's not common sense. It is common sense that the parent probably knows the, some of the, the tactics along the way. But I feel like if we don't open up these conversations, it makes it very difficult. and We lose a lot of time between when we could have had that information like you, like you did to mm -hmm. when we actually figure it out later in life. And by that time, a lot of times you're caught in a debt trap already. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, even so, I think, unfortunately, a lot of families maybe don't even know good financial strategies and they may actually be passing on bad financial strategies. Like I've heard some weird ones before from people on my channel. Like I had somebody reach out to me once and they said that the strategy that their mom taught them was like using credit cards, maxing them out. And then when you got back to the $0 line, you had $10,000 to spend. So like a lot of this backwards thinking of like, spend 10,000, get it all on a credit card, pay it all off, get back to that $0 line and just perpetually keep yourself in this state of being in massive credit card debt. I remember like hearing that one and I'm like, how is that advice that's being passed around? But that's what they're, unfortunately, that's what their, you know, family had taught them as like a, a wise strategy for spending. Well, you know, that's one of my goals with this program is that um, I want to a test of people that are in school before they get in their communities, because I feel like a lot of times that's kind of where that saying the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, because you're going to get financial advice from people. Anybody you ask about money will tell you something. It's where you get the information from. If you're able to discern if that's a good place or a bad place is that though you should be, you should really be just kind of modeling this, the people that you want to be like, right. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so that's where I think that um, we need to be more intentional because we don't teach these things, mm -hmm. you know, and that's why I find something like what you're doing with like, there is a need, like, you know, that because people are reaching out to you, people are subscribing to you, you know, and I, I think that the younger generation right now, the Gen Z is really financially aware that what they're not being taught. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's the case too. And I mean, at least from the people watching my channel, you know, they're in a better position because a lot of this stuff has almost become, well, then again, I might be in kind of a bubble here because I just see my audience, which is those watching my videos. And I know there's a lot more Gen Zers and millennials watching YouTube, but at least in my immediate audience, you know, people kind of know, all right, emergency fund, you know, use credit cards responsibly, um, establish credit while you're young, et cetera. They seem to know these things. Um, but yeah, I also think that this is, 
this is the group that I'm hearing a lot of people saying like they're being frustrated with like why why are we not learning this in school why didn't we learn about tax returns etc so many things that are just so important and instead you know there's time spent on things that maybe don't carry as much value in your day-to-day life yeah I think that um you know what YouTube has allowed is a lot like what podcasts have allowed it's intentional content um uh consumption right you want to learn about personal finance, you can go into YouTube and check in personal finance. You don't have to watch ABC, NBC, Fox, you know, you don't have to watch a regular cable channel mm-hmm. anymore. You have the ability to go get that information. And I think that's opening a lot of doors. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, I think I'm one of the, in terms of the people I know, like I, I YouTube everything. And it's funny because people sometimes will laugh about that because I do YouTube myself. But like, right now I'm doing a bunch of like projects around my house and like, I just YouTube it. I don't, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't go on HGTV or these different stations. I'll just be like, all right, I want to install some laminate flooring. How do I do that? YouTube it. And, and I think that's just the trend here. Uh, and it's a really cool shift here that happened with YouTube that I don't think people even were aware of. I, I don't even know if I was aware of it myself. I kind of just got caught in that. But YouTube really shifted from a uh, entertainment platform to more of an educational platform. Um, and it went from a place where you go to just kill time and entertain yourself to, okay, I want to learn something, or I want to have somebody walk me through how to do something. And I don't, and I don't want it to be this overly produced, you know, video on, on TV where I can't relate to that person. Like I want an average person to explain to me, like in layman's terms, how to do something. Just recently resurfaced my driveway. And I did the, I, I do the exact same thing. I was yeah, you like, just YouTube it. Yeah, I had the guy come and give me quotes, and I was kind of just like shocked at how much they wanted to do it. Yeah, I'm like, so I started YouTubing it, and I was like, you know, I think I can do this. And so what I end up usually doing is I end up usually trying, and because I watch three or four of the videos, and I decide who's got it. And I agree with you 100. I like the guy who's been doing driveways for 20 years. I like his video. It's not produced well. It's usually right. windy that happens like stuff falls over but that's the guy I want because he's done this for 20 years and I get to leverage his information instantly yeah exactly and I mean that in and of itself I think is a great financial tip and I did it earlier on this year um where and and that's something that I definitely like well I like working with my hands too I like doing kind of the handyman stuff um and I'm decent at it I'm not great at it but I, I can do some basic stuff um but like even as my income has increased if I can do something myself, I'm still going to do it myself. So for example, earlier this year, I wanted to put in like a little privacy fence because I'm going to be doing like an Airbnb at some point on my property. So I got a quote for this fence and this guy wanted like $5,500 to do this fence and it wasn't that big. So what did I do? I jumped on YouTube, started learning about post hole diggers and uh, building a fence and I did it for 1400. So I literally saved myself basically somewhere around $3,000. Yeah. So it's not as perfect as his, but I mean, saving yourself three grand, that's, that's nothing to shake a stick at. No, that's big money. I mean, you start adding those things up. I did the same thing. So like my driveway was $10,000. I wanted, I did it for 1500 bucks and I did it myself. Wow. That's substantial. Yeah. And I was, I was like, this is amazing. Like, you know, I usually do is I usually will try something. And then I, if I need the professional, I'll still call them afterwards and be like, Hey, I couldn't figure this out. Like I screwed it up. Right. Yeah. yeah. At least give it a shot because you know, I used to, everyone used to make fun of me because I grew up in, um, in like an apartment condos type of deal. So we didn't, my dad, we didn't do that. We played 
baseball all the time or we played football all the time. Like we didn't do fix it stuff. That just wasn't mm-hmm. our thing. And, um, and so as I got older, like I just had to call somebody all the time. So when YouTube kind of came out and I started, you know what, I'm going to start learning how to do this stuff. I can just about fix, I can fix so much stuff now by learning, <laughs> taking the time to go after and learn those things. You know, um, oh yeah, I know it's it's totally great. And instead of paying, you know, two hundred dollars for a plumber to come fix a you know clogged drain, it's like just yeah. you know YouTube it and you can do it for free pretty much. And what I love about this now is like so we can kind of that mentality of being able to do that is what's available now in the personal finance world. Like you have people like yourself that are out there that are literally showing behind the curtains. You know, you're not a Wall Street guy, you know, telling from Goldman Sachs, top of Goldman Sachs, telling them. Like, oh, you know what? You need to be better with your finances. You're like, look, man, here's what I'm doing with my finances. And this is what's working. This didn't work, right? Absolutely, yeah. And I think as well, you know, what's worked for me in terms of like my message is that number one, I'm just an average guy. And I don't really care if I'm, you know, a millionaire or if I've got no money. I feel like I just kind of portray the same person. I don't really have any, like I haven't really changed much as far as, those who have talked to me, you know, in terms of like my income or, you know, net worth increasing. And so like still when people come across my channel, they just see this average guy sharing, you know, what he's learned about money. And I share my own investment portfolios and I talk about, Hey, you know, this worked well for me. And Hey, you know what? This was stupid. I've made a mistake here with this purchase. And so there's not that disconnect there between this guy is like, uh, you know, a wall street analyst, or, you know, like you said, from Goldman Sachs, like, and I mean, we, I think on these finance channels, I don't have any statistics on this, but I would imagine, you know, we're giving CNBC a run for their money in terms of, you know, the, the average viewership on their platform, because I just know at least people my age, you know, they don't, re- they don't relate to the CNBC squawk box and things like that. They would rather have like an average person their age, talk to them in the basic terms that people can understand without having, you know, this finance background. Yeah. You know what? I think that's a big, a couple things in there that were packed in there. One, you know, having over, uh, I think I looked yesterday, it was about 670,000 subscribers that get alerted when you post a video. You're your own TV station. Yeah. It's it's funny because I'm in the process of uh, getting different insurance for my business and that's what they're putting me under is a, uh, is a broadcaster policy. I'm like a broadcasting station. It's kind of funny to think of it that way, but uh, on a small scale, that's pretty much what it is. Yeah, you have your own station. Well, so I um I have uh in, I have paid for TV ads before, and they do them in these M- uh I think they're, what they're called MNAs. I think they're called um and uh basically they they tell you how many people are in the demographic for that area. They block off. They're all built into different pieces, almost like multiple counties type of deal. And so um like I know through central, you'll have a, you'll have a particular, um, you know, like a Cox cable or, you know, whatever the, the company is, that's actually delivering the TV cable. Um, and they'll have a hundred, 150,000 people in these blocks up mm-hmm. to about a million. And I mean, you're talking about an entire huge area to have a million people. in. so when you start talking about numbers of 650,000 plus people, like you're several M and A's in a lot of the country. Yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that cool? It's, and it's yeah, it's, it's wild to wrap your head around it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, well, let's do this. Let's hop in. So what, what got you going on YouTube? I've watched several of your videos. I know in the beginning you talked about, um, you know, where your income numbers were coming from the channel and that kind of stuff. Could you kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. So like most people who are successful at something, 
I never went into this with the intention of making money. I just pretty much, like I said earlier, I had seen that educational gap there between high school and the real world among my peers. And I was also very interested in the stock market at that time. So I was working my nine to five job. It was actually, it was actually like seven to three, but it's nine to five is just something that people understand more. Um, but yeah, I was working for my local power utility company and that's actually my educational background. So I said, I'm pretty handy. Um, I went to school for two years for basically electrical construction. I learned residential commercial wiring. So got a job at my power utility. And I mean, by most people's standards, it was like I had it made. That's what I, people told me all the time, you know, like, oh, you got it made. And I was like, I don't feel that way, but okay. <laughs> but I was working, you know, as a union job. I had no debt because I went to community college and I had a little bit of money from my grandfather to put towards that. I paid for my tools and books, et cetera, and like applied for random scholarships here and there, like 500 bucks here and there that would help out. Uh, so I ended up having no debt. Um, I was driving like an old car, beat up car, had no car payment. And I was still living at home. I was renting a bedroom from my mom for like 500 bucks a month or something like that. So other than that, I had literally no expenses. And so I, like, I just wanted to, I like that your mom charged you rent. I love that. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I made sense. And then at the same time, you know, if you're over 18 and well, I mean, I think at the, she didn't start charging me till I graduated college, but she was like, well, all right, you could be out on your own. So yeah, I got to, you got to pitch in towards rent. And I was a little bit annoyed about that, but I was like, all right, it's, it's reasonable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was working. Uh, I mean, I was making, I think my salary was probably, I think it was like 65,000, but there was some bonuses and some overtime in there. So closer to like $70,000 per year, no debt, you know, no expenses, union job guaranteed hundred thousand within five years because of the progression that I was in. But it was just not for me. Like it was not something that I enjoyed doing. And it was not an area of work where I was like passionate at all about what I was doing. So I actually kind of started the YouTube channel as like a passion project side hobby type thing, because I was taking a lot of my extra income from my job and I was doing, you know, like the emergency fund. And then when I had enough there, I did, you know, stock market investments. I was trying to do some swing trading. Um, I was maxing out my 401k contributions. I was doing as much money as I could into the company stock as I got it at a discounted rate. And I kind of was like looking for, um, a, a way to have like an impact. I mean, this sounds kind of like, sounds kind of like a bad thought to have, but like, I felt like the, you know, the, the position that I had at this job, I worked in the planning department. So I was basically a paper pusher and I would do like estimates for construction for the overhead lines. And I just felt so non-essential. Like I literally thought one day I was like, if I didn't like show up here, would anybody even notice that I wasn't here? Like there'd be days that would go by where nobody would talk to me. My supervisor wouldn't check in. Like, I was like, I feel so unessential here. Like, I don't even know if anybody would notice if I just didn't show up one day to work. It just felt like I had no impact on the world. So I started the channel as more of a way to like, actually feel like I was giving back and doing something valuable and having impact. And I just wanted that, like that connection with people of like, okay, I actually helped this person. Like with this job that I have where I'm just estimating the costs of replacing utility lines I don't I don't even know if that's benefiting you know I, I don't know if anybody even knows about this type of work um, so I, I knew I needed to be in, in a kind of job or or business which involved people so I started this uh, thing as a hobby just to kind of 
fulfill that void that I had of like having any kind of meaning to what I was doing. Um, and then I just kind of, that became what I did. I would go to work and I had a fair amount of downtime at my job. So I would spend that time kind of like outlining my videos. So if I was like between jobs at work, I would, you know, go on my computer, jot some stuff down and come up with ideas and scripts for my videos, record them actually in my car, which was kind of funny. Um, I would on my lunch break, go to the Walmart and go drive behind the Walmart where there were no cars. And I would take a little sticky note where I jotted down my notes and I would just like use this tripod, put it on my dashboard. And I just like recorded these five, six minute videos behind the Walmart. Uh, and I took most of them down just because I've since replaced them with like better quality videos, but I left one up, which still gets a fair amount of views. And it's like how to build credit when you're 18. Um, and it's literally recorded in the back of my, or in my car behind a Walmart has almost a hundred thousand views. And like people still comment on it, at least on a weekly basis. And they're like, Oh, this was really helpful. So that's how it started. And then it just kind of grew from there. I remember once I started getting some subscribers, getting some views in the videos, I was like, all right, maybe I can do better than Walmart parking lot in terms of production. So I went to Staples, I bought a whiteboard and I got some posters and kind of made this setup in that spare bedroom I was renting from my mom. Uh, and I set up shop there. And then I just started, you know, recording videos in that spare room. And I mean, I was like, I was pretty obsessed with it, to be honest with you. I mean, I didn't like, I didn't have any kind of social life. I literally like went to work, came home, went to the gym, and then I would spend three hours at night recording or editing. And then my entire weekend, I would do the same thing. I would just work on this because uh, the way that I thought about it was like, I'm not where I want to be in life and I don't want to get comfortable here. So like, I don't want to go out on a Saturday and go hang out with my friends and just like distract myself from like this underlying thing that's bothering me. I would rather just like focus 100% on like getting out of the situation because like, uh, it wasn't a horrible job, but it just did not align with my interests and it sounds, like, sounds like it was a bit mind numbing very mind very mind numbing yeah and so i just it was just i knew i wasn't where i needed to be in life and i just wanted to get to where i wanted to be as fast as possible so i didn't want to waste saturdays you know doing whatever going to going to a bar or or things like that and it's funny because like in one of my videos um you can actually hear in the background like popping and it was the 4th of July fireworks going on at like 9.30 at night while I'm like in my room doing a video about dividend stocks. Because I was just like, 4th of July, I've got a day off. Let's go. Let's grind. Um, now, since then, I've, I've, I'm not in that whole grind mentality. I try to have a better work-life balance and I don't record videos on, you know, 4th of July evening. Um, but yeah, it started out as a, a passion project. Then it was gaining traction. Then I monetized it. And like, I remember as soon as I turned on my ads... Um, it was like immediately three, two to $3 a day. Uh, the first month or two, I think it wasn't too much, or maybe, I think maybe I wasn't looking at it. How at many first. videos did you have up, um, before you decided to monetize? Um, I think I was in the settings and I turned it on, but so the monetization has changed on YouTube because now you have to have like a thousand subscribers, 4,000 hours of watch time. Back in the day, you could turn it on. Um, but you needed to make that hundred dollar threshold before you got paid. Yeah. So I think what happened is I turned it on, didn't really look at it because I was like, I'm not getting any views. I'm sure I'm not making any money. Um, but then I remember like after I had about 40 or so videos done, I think I had at that point, 
couple hundred subscribers at least, um, I checked my monetization and I was making like two, three dollars a day. And to me, I was like, man, that's crazy. Like, I remember I used to have YouTube channels when I was younger. I did like gaming channels and like random videos with my friends and we'd throw them up there. And like, I think I had one channel where every eight months or so I'd get a hundred dollars, you know, from the ad revenue. So it was like nothing. But once in a while you're like, oh, I got this random check. It was cool. But to me, like two or three bucks a day, I was like, that's actually like, that's enough to make enough to cash out every month. Um, and then I remember after I did that, I looked more into monetization and I found out about mid-roll ads, which is where you can put ads within your videos. So it was like 11 o'clock at night. I had work the next day. I had to get up at six, but I was like, I'm going to stay up and put mid-roll ads in all of my videos. So I like was up till like 1 a.m. watching my longer videos, putting ads in there, went to bed. And then like the next day or the day that followed that after the first full day of mid-roll ads, my ad revenue went from like $2 to like seven. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's substantial. Um, and then I was like, all right, I want to like dedicate more time to this. So timeline wise, I started the channel in October of 2016. When I was making around $7 ish, it was probably uh, January, February of 2017. And then it kind of scaled up from there. It went, it started making like around $300, $400 a month. And then I got it up to when I was making a thousand dollars in a month, that's when like the gear started turning in my head. And I was like, all right, I'm spending, you know, three hours a day on this side project. That's now making me a thousand dollars in a very passive manner. And I'm spending 40 hours per week at this job that has a capped income level that I don't want to be doing. That's not scalable. So I was like, that just seemed way more appealing to me. And I mean, I was in a position financially where I had emergency fund, minimal expenses. So basically what I did, I mean, it took me a while to like build up the courage to take this risk. I remember I was just so nervous about it because, you know, there's no way I'm getting back in this company if I quit. You know, like I'd be blacklisted for sure. They're not going to rehire you. What are the odds of me getting another union job? You know, this is the best job you could possibly get with my level of education. So it just was a long process of me like going back and forth about it. Um, but eventually I said, you know what, I'm just going to give it a shot. It was June of 2017. Basically what I did, I took $5,000 out of my emergency fund, put it in my checking account. And I said, I'm going to give myself that money to try this. I'm making about a thousand a month from this channel that should cover my basic expenses. And if I can manage to be successful, I'll be successful. But if I run out of money, I'll just go get a new job. I don't want to work here anyway, so I've got nothing to lose. And so basically June of 2017, I quit the job and just started doing the YouTube full time. So um, let me ask you this real quick. I want to interject on there. So did yeah, you, yeah. I'm curious about this. Did you talk to your parents about it, about quitting? I did. Yeah. Everybody thought I was insane. So you're, yeah. You're going to say your dad was a personal finance. <laughs> yeah. You thought, you, thought, you thought I was literally like destroying my life. <laughs> my, so it's funny my mom actually thought it, my mom knew how miserable I was because she lived with me and yeah. she was like honestly yeah you should do it but yeah. like I remember sitting down with my dad and talking to him about it like and I sat down with like with my grandmaster plan and I was like dad I'm gonna quit this job I'm gonna become a financed youtuber and I'm gonna go do speaking across the country and I'm gonna be I'm gonna write books and I'm gonna do all this and I remember he like looked at me and he's like, like shook his head and like didn't say anything to me. And then he was just like, I think his response, it was something like, he was like, why don't you just like 
go to the bars and like, you know, be normal. <laughs> you know, just work your job, go to the bar, be normal. And I was like, man, that's just so not, you know, what I want to be doing. Yeah. And like also too, like my godfather, he always, I mean, my dad, godfather, always super supportive in my life, but very, very risk averse, very afraid of risk. Yeah. So like to them, it was just like, play it the safe insanity, route. Insanity, right? You yeah. Know, like, yeah. yeah. Play the safe route. You know, and my dad knew that I knew like the compound interest calculators. He's like, Ryan, you know, you can just put, you know, 18% of your money into your 401k and you can retire at 45. You'd be out of there at 45 and you could, you know, you'd only have to work there 25 years. But I'm like, I'm not going to spend 25 years doing something that I hate. I just can't do that. Um, but it was funny. Yeah. I mean, now, now looking back, my everybody thinks they're like, wow, okay, that's, that's pretty cool how that worked for you. Um, but yeah, I really only had the support of my mom. Yeah. Everyone else thought I literally had lost my mind. But <laughs> you that kind that, of, do you, do you yeah. ever bring that up to dad? <laughs> um, I don't know if I brought it up to him. I just kind of like let that one be because <laughs> nice. uh, I don't, I think he, he, I mean, he's in my corner now. And yeah. after he saw it working, he like understood it. Yeah. Um, but like my stepmom talks about it all the time. She was like, yeah, we all thought you were insane. Like that was all we talked about at like dinner and stuff, like how concerned we were about what you were doing. Well, good, good um, for you, man. That's a true yeah. entrepreneur. You know, uh, the thing is you have to take a step into and not know where your foot's going to land. And it's, it's a big thing, you know, and I, I think you did it the right way. It's a way I, I would suggest for people is to, if you have an idea for a passion to do something, like I really think you have to work that if you're in that 40 hour work job, like I really think you have to work that and make it work as a side hustle, but you mm -hmm. have to start, you know, and you have to get, you have to figure out where you're really bad at it first. And then, you know, down the road, if you're not, cause if you're not willing to work more than 40 hours a week, it's hard to get a business off the ground in the beginning, you know, as a self-employed person, like oh, that yeah. 40 hour a week clock doesn't, is not a real thing. You know, it's, you're no. thinking about it all the time. Like, right. When you're, when you're starting something. So I think that I completely agree with that because I've run into a lot of people that say, Oh, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to start this business. And I'd be like, there's no point doing it that way why wouldn't you start it while you're working your job and then scale into it and yeah. it's and, and they'll say something like well i'm gonna quit my job and use that as motivation to be super successful with this business and it's like i completely agree with you you there's no reason for most people unless you have kids or things like that that you can't put you know 10 to 20 hours into the side business after your work i mean i didn't have a life at that time but i still had my job i was healthy. I exercised, went to the gym Monday through Friday, and then spent my evenings. I only slept six hours a night, but it was still a healthy amount of sleep, more yeah. than most entrepreneurs sleep, I'm sure. But you know, I made it work. I did sacrifice friendships, didn't have a relationship at that time. But you know, that's the kind of the sacrifice you have to make in terms of if you want to, you really truly want to get to where you're looking to get. Yeah, if you're getting out of it, that's, that's the same advice I would give somebody is like, you need to do it for 10 to 20 hours. Because there's another part about that is that people don't understand that when you become an entrepreneur, and you move into the field that uh, most interests you, um, you know, yours is a little bit different, I think, probably, but um, as you become the business owner, you don't necessarily do what the passionate part, that, 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 that's not the fun part you get to do as much anymore. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like if you're, you know, I don't know if you work for, um, you know, I tell you like if you're a painter, like, and you're working for a paint company and then they're like, well, wait, look how much money the owner's making. Like, I'm going to go be a, start a paint company. Like if you're going to have any scale and any possibility to get where that guy is, you don't, you're not going to be doing painting. You're going to be 
you know, you're right. going to have to handle Management HR and you're going to have to handle, yeah. yeah, finance, sales, marketing and operations, you know, and it's like, if you're not, you, you may find that you're not really geared for that, uh, I don't know, other side of the, of the, of the rainbow there. You know what I mean? Like, Oh yeah. 100%. And it, actually I have run into that with, uh, so if we fast forward my timeline here from June of 2017, quit my job, scaled up the YouTube channel, kind of found myself hitting a ceiling with the level of income I could make from this channel. And in August of 2018, I basically acquired this finance Instagram page called investing simple. Uh, since then, I sold off the Instagram page just because I wasn't really able to make much money from it, but it also came with this blog, and I decided to diversify into a totally different business. I wanted to have multiple platforms, so I built out this finance blog, which is now actually quite successful as well, but exactly what you said. I went from, when, when my business partner and I first started this blog, him and I side by side, well, not literally, but we both just figured out what articles we wanted to write, split it down the middle in terms of our strengths and weaknesses and wrote the articles. And that was fine and it worked, but again, it got us only to a certain level because if you truly want to scale a blog, you can't write every article because you can only write so many articles in a week. Uh, so then we got into hiring writers and all of a sudden I transitioned from being, you know, if you've read uh, the E-Myth, you know, the technician, to the manager and I was like, wait a second. I'm, I'm now having to figure out how to give people criticism in a, a polite way and how to not make someone upset when I need them to correct something. And I was like, all of these things I never thought I would be doing. And I wasn't necessarily good at it, but I've, I've learned kind of how to be gentle in terms of, you know, hey, maybe you could position it this way or this is great, but maybe it'd be better that way. Uh, but yeah, it's completely true. You, if you're really going to scale a business, uh, you're going to end up doing us. You're going to be in these roles that you never imagined yourself being in. Because you, again, if we talk about passive income, uh, if you're only deriving income off of your own efforts, it, you can only go so far with that. Yeah, I think, um, and you know, and and I've I've been I've opened 13 businesses, right? So I've and I, I've done them in all different sizes, scales, and success levels, right? From completely bombing and never even getting off the ground, opening the door to, uh, you know, selling to a publicly traded company and dealing with family offices and private equity and that kind of stuff, right? And so um, mm. one of the things that I needed to learn along the way was there's, you go to the manager level, right? Where you become now the linchpin of the company um, and everything flows through you. And then you'll, you'll hit another wall where when you are able to step out of the company and the company doesn't need you anymore, that's when you have a sellable business, mm -hmm. right? And so you got, if that's what the end goal is for it, a lot of times for people is that's a hard one because you're used to being the driver and then you have to, you have to realize that like, there's probably a better operator than you. If you're that entrepreneurial, like if, if sitting there doing something mind numbing, like pushing papers around or doing the same monotonous things over and over right. again, is not your cup of tea. It gets worse and worse and worse. And then what you do, what you realize is you need to find, you know, you find an operator that really enjoy Cause some people are just, they, that's where they thrive. Mm -hmm. You know, I've unfortunately, I'm not one of those people. Like I, I, I need challenges. I need to accomplish things. And then when I kill it, I want another thing to kill. Like I'm not excited about that anymore. Right. Yeah. You know? And uh, so we actually, when I got my business big enough to scale and sell, we needed to figure out how to do that, which was we needed to put the people in place in the processes to where I could didn't step back and then do what I'm good at, which is 
challenging the status quo, challenging mm-hmm. the way we make money, finding the problems and killing them, you know, like, so. Um, yeah. It, so for me too, I mean, I completely understand that. Cause I, I, I feel that too. Um, I'm actually, I, so I can do both. If I'm doing it for myself, I yeah. can just zero in on something and just repeat that process over and over and over again. So what I do for the blog now, rather than being the guy writing the content, I am more or less the editor. So yeah. uh, my business partner hires out the writing. They send him the article. He gives it a pass through. I take a look at it, go through it, say, okay, that yeah, looks pretty good to me. Make some tweaks, drop in the affiliate links and schedule it. So I spend probably... Right now, I'm like 50-50 split between working on the blog and working on my YouTube channel. But it, I mean, a lot of the stuff is quite mind-numbing. Like uh, if we can't hire something out in terms of uh, if it's not something that's easy enough to have somebody just go through and do it, you know, we have to do it ourselves. So like, for example, yesterday, my day was just five or six hours of uh, punching this data into a, uh, a new plugin for our reviews. So rather than having, you know, just boring text, it has this really nice flashy plugin with like star ratings. And I had to like assign those ratings for these different apps. So it wasn't really something that I had anybody I was confident in to do it, uh, just in terms of like our writers and whatnot. So I just sat down five, six hours and did that. Now, if I'm doing that for me, and I get to benefit from it, I can keep myself motivated. But if somebody was like, I want to pay you $20 $20 an hour to sit here and do this, I would literally go insane. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, that's like the differentiator. Yeah. Well, you're learning something new and challenging yourself. And, uh, and that's a fun part of it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, so I want to, um, I want to, I want to shift into one thing real quick because we got to kind of wrap up the interview pretty soon. Um, so we can do the high impact one. Sure. Um, but where would you, I mean, where would you recommend that parents start? Right. So a lot of the people listening to this are going to be parents looking for information on, on mm-hmm. not just I have a lot of people that are listening for themselves, but also like where would you where would you be, tell people to start if they don't if they haven't if they if they know they have the need already. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're financially either frustrated or they're they're trying to think of ways to bridge the gap for their kids that don't know anything yet. Like how how would you introduce people into your world? Yeah. I mean, so if we're talking like a young age, like I remember, I mean, I guess I was very fortunate. I had a lot of good examples growing up. Like my grandfather would take me and my brother and my sister out for like outings on Tuesdays. And we would all start the day with a budget. And I think at the time it was $5 or maybe it was three. I don't even remember. And it was quarters and it was on his dashboard. And like, if we screwed up, a quarter was put away. And some days we would blow through our whole budget and couldn't spend any money. So like that was a really good lesson for me when I was younger. So I think even introducing your kids to money at a young age of, okay, this is something of value. And if you have good actions, you keep that money. If you have bad actions, you may not end up with any money. Um, So that, I don't know, for me, that's like one of my earliest money lessons. I can remember that budget. Uh, and then another funny one too, like my, my dad used to give me, oh, this was like, I think this was even preschool, but I remember like I, I was a messy eater and I would come home with all of my lunch all over my shirt. Every time I had a clean shirt, he would give me a nickel and I would put it in a jar and I wanted to save my nickels up. So I was like, all right, I'm going to keep my shirt clean. So <laughs> little things like that is good to like introduce to your kids that money is something of value. Um, and you know, your actions can determine if you have a lot of this or a little bit of this, 
Um, but the other thing I would say too, is like be able to identify that entrepreneurial spark if you see it and like really allow that to express itself and like encourage that. Because like when I was younger, I had all kinds of ideas and I tried all these different things. Like when I was 14, I mowed lawns in my neighborhood and my dad was super supportive. He was like, look, I'll pay for the gas, I'll pay for the oil and use our mower and you keep all the money. And so I pushed my mower around and mowed lawns in the summer. Um, and so I would just say like, if you're, if your kids come to you and they say like, okay, maybe I want money or I'm looking to earn money or make some money, you know, don't immediately gear them towards like, okay, well, what, what kind of job do you want to do? You know, maybe ask the question of like, okay, well, how does somebody earn money? What are some ways that you could earn money? Um, and just kind of encouraging them, even if they're going to fail at it, you know, cause like I had so many failures when I was younger of just like these business ideas that I thought were great or uh, things like that. So like, for example, in seventh grade, I started selling like knockoff energy drinks out of my locker, which a lot of people do. Uh, and I remember like I got in trouble with the school for it. And I'm pretty sure my parents figured that was going to happen, but they're also like at the end of the day, like that's not the end of the world, yeah. but I would cart them in with my backpack and, and meet up with people in the hallways and try to sell them an energy drink. And uh, then I got called in the office and they're like, yeah, you can't operate a business on school property. I was like, <laughs> okay. So just little things like that. I, I would I, just, what was probably crazy is probably in your head. We're like, I have a business. Right. I was <laughs> like, this is a yeah, business. Like I'm legit now. Yeah. I actually, I took it as a compliment. I was like, cool, <laughs> this is a business. I thought I was just trying to hustle here and I, make know, a couple bucks. I want to, I want to uh, point this out. And that is such an important take. I wrote a business plan template that you could write with your kids. And one of the things that I tell people is that it's not your job to tell them the business won't work. It is your job to help them figure out how that business will work. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like you're saying, like, don't, you've got, you've got to protect your kids from anything that's going to be bad, like bad, bad, you know, like don't let them do anything illegal. Don't let them go anything that's dangerous. Like that's too dangerous or anything, but like, you also got to like, I love that your parents let you bump your head. Like you're like, I think they kind of probably knew, but right. uh, they knew we weren't, I wasn't going to get in massive trouble. Like you're not going to get kicked out of school for it, but they need to let you realize there's some consequences that come with those things. And I think mm -hmm. that that's a huge point is that we get in the way of their creativity. And you know what, it's almost like, what's funny is that you, you, you know, you were saying that you remember in seventh grade that they kind of let you do that. But what was funny is that when you got to uh, 2017, your dad thought you were crazy for going to try to do something out of the, the risk. Normal, yeah. Right? It, it, so it totally shifted. It, it did. It off as a parent, right? Like we, yeah. we were like risk, you know, we're trying to protect our kids no matter how old they get, you know, and it's mm -hmm. like, uh, that's just a funny thing that kind of tied back into that, that part of the story is, you know, it was like, all right, well, I know you won't get in too much trouble. And then he was like, dude, you're going to throw away this massive job. Like it, that was his risk tolerance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, right. <laughs> so true. Yeah. yeah. That is so and cool. So uh, I think, I think that's just, you know, I, and not everybody has that. So like, I'm also, it's important for parents too to understand, like you said earlier, there are some people out there that just love the technician type work, you know, where you just sit and you do that and you understand the process and you do the same thing every day. And there's not much, you know, unknown to the work you do. You just know what you do and you're good at it. Like that's my brother. He's two years younger than me, but like he is, that is him. He likes working with his hands. He's a construction worker. He just loves it. And that's what he does. And so like, I've even made the mistake sometimes too, of trying to push him towards the realm of entrepreneurship. It is just not for him. It's not the way his brain works. It's just not, you know, so I would also say, you know, if your kids have that 
in them already, you know, nurture that and allow that to grow. But at the same time, you don't have to like force your kids to go do a lemonade stand if they hate it, you know, just like let them nur like nurture whatever it is that's kind of showing up. I think it's amazing be, you say that because yeah. a lot of the people that I talk to in this podcast will tell me that like, um, you've got to ask open-ended questions with your kids, right? Mm -hmm. And you can't drive a narrative to your kids if you really want to connect with them between personal finance, successful mindsets, or even entrepreneurship. Like you've got to not go in with an agenda when you talk to them because what they gear towards and what they gravitate towards is what they're really going to shine at. And that's what you need to encourage and not mm. decide what they're going to be good at in the first place. Because like you said, you had it made, right? That was the appearance of the things, but internally it was killing you, right? Right. And so, and for your brother, it's a flip side of that. Like he loves it. He's an operator, right? He's mm -hmm. a technician, right? He's the guy that goes in. I know what I'm doing and I'm just going to get better and better at it because the, the people who are not the operators and the ones that are the challengers of the system, need operators like there's a there's a way oh, to be absolutely side yeah. of, right and so as a parent like i know i see my kids as entrepreneurs because i i, I know how much they talk about it we talk about it all the time right but mm -hmm. i don't know if it's more that's caught than taught right i don't know if i'm telling them to be entrepreneurs. yeah that's very they interesting me and yeah. they're like wow that's that's what they gravitate towards so i try to push that but if they were like look I don't ever want to open a business. I want to, I want to be a, a I want to be whatever, an attorney that just works at a law firm. I never want to own the law firm. I'd be like, you know, I, I would think I would have, I would literally step back because if that's what they want, that's where they're going to shine. Absolutely. You know? mm -hmm. And I think that's really important because there's a lot of paths to success, which is why a lot of people who are in our field and finance, you know, will say your dad had a great offer, right? He said, look, man, you can be retired at 45, right? That mm -hmm. is like, there's a way to do that. There's also a way to go and be an entrepreneur and crash 95 times before you hit something successful, you know, but there's a lot of different paths to success. And I think that, um, you know, you're able to kind of hit on that in this interview of there is, you know, there were multiple areas and you were being successful in whatever you did. You just dove in and went hard into it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's more than one way here. I mean, and, and I also want to make sure too, cause I almost feel like there's this, uh, trend that I've seen a little bit of like, you know, ragging on people who work a job, you know, like, I think a lot of it comes from these gurus trying to sell like, whatever they're selling course wise, well, you know, selling, you're, like, you're in that. They're selling, yeah. they're selling, they're selling instant millionaire. They're selling right. Instagram. They're selling, you know, my course is going to show you how to be a millionaire in a week, you know, and it's like, right work that way and know? so there's a lot of just bashing on like yeah. you're in this soul crushing job you you know you're you're not you have any value or you don't have any sense of self-worth and all this stuff and it's like no a lot of people are just like you said the operator the technician there's nothing wrong with that yeah it's just a difference of and i mean you could retire at 45 as that operator you could retire at 45 as the entrepreneur you could do it both ways neither is right neither is wrong you can also do both Right. Right. You were doing both. You were supporting yeah. your entrepreneurial dream from your nine to five. Right. And you decided to listen, this is the one I gravitate towards, but there would be nothing to nothing wrong to say, okay, listen, I've got this job that I wanted. I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can in this part to max my 401k and do all those things you were talking yep. about. And then at night I'm going to do my passion project and I'm going to start building that thing up and I'm going to, and that gives me my creative release. Right. Yep. That's and I think that's the best, you know? I think that's the best way to do it for sure. Yeah, I do too. Um, well, we're going to wrap up there, Ryan, man. I just want to say thank you so much, man. This has been awesome to talk with you about this and follow up on kind of how you've gotten to be where you're at. And I wish you know nothing but continued success. I don't see it 
<laughs> you know, coming, coming, it's, you're, you're about to take off even more, which is awesome. And, uh, and I, I just want to uh, throw this out there. Like if, if the, the listeners want to find out more about you, where, uh, where do they find you? Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. And I, I also appreciate the uh, words of encouragement there. Um, I always, you know, in the podcast interviews, I always tell people if, uh, if you want to like shoot me a message or something, uh, my Instagram, I always do my best to respond if you mention the name of the show. So if you're like, hey, I came over from this podcast, uh, I would, I'll do my best to respond. I can't always respond. But if you have like a specific question for me, um, I know you've invested your time in me at this point watching this interview. So I'll do my best to, you know, take some time to respond to you. Um, I would also invite you guys to check out, you know, the YouTube channel. I've got a lot of good stuff going on over there. And then if you're looking to, you know, learn about the ins and outs of investing, getting started for beginners, where do you start? You know, uh, investing simple is the blog I'm the uh, co-owner of. So any of the above are great options to, uh, you know, explore this world more and learn more about, you know, finance and investing. And that's awesome, man. And that's the thing that like, I want two words that I tell people mostly is that take action right? Mm -hmm. Don't want, don't want to, you know, to learn about things. Don't want to start investing, go start investing. They can do Absolutely. it in smaller and fractional shares, like start something to start learning about it and start getting out there. So, uh, Ryan, again, thank you. I'll put the links in the show notes for everybody, but man, I just want to say thanks a lot. And uh, listeners, uh, look out for the next, uh, high impact series coming in with Brian Scribner. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Money Talkers with me, your host, Cody Laughlin. If you found this episode helpful in your pursuit of financial dominance, it really helps if you make sure to leave a five-star rating and share it with your friends or family members who could use good financial information and entrepreneurial success tips. I invite you to join the Money Talkers community Facebook group. Open Facebook and search for Money Talkers to join today. Follow us on Instagram at the Money Talkers for inspirational mindset posts, encouragement, and investing tips. And remember, the one thing you can do to change your kid's financial future is to start talking about money with them because you are a money talker.